0: Thrill of Hope, last talk on Thrill of Hope. I wanted to be done, but I can't because I love the topic so much. Uh, I speak 40 plus Sundays a year. Here's what I've learned. Uh, they are so important. I, you know, I, I've really come to believe this more and more over the last few years. Each of these moments, each of these hours is precious. We get to be together as, as the community of God in this town at least maybe one of the biggest communities of God in this town, we only come together for the most part one time a week. So these times are precious. They're holy. They're vital to our community. They're vital to our walk together. We remind ourselves, and when we, listen, we, we've tried, we try to take this so seriously, like uh, Tuesday morning we get together, our, the staff, and the first thing we do is we talk about these services. What did we do right? What did we do wrong? What can we fix? How can we connect God to, to people better? How can, what is God calling us, to, where is he calling us to lead our community? First thing we do every week. And one of the things we, we say in there is never give away a Sunday, Never give away a Sunday. You don't know who's going to be there that Sunday. You don't know what's going on in people's lives. Never give away a Sunday. Every one of them is precious. But there's a couple that are really special. I mean, you know them, right? I mean, Christmas Eve, gosh, if you were here Christmas Eve, that was just, I mean, I, I've, I, every year I'd come out and go, boy, that was the best Christmas Eve ever. But I got to tell you, I felt like that was the best Christmas Eve ever. So many of you have emailed it. We're going to get it up on Facebook and the internet soon, but such, uh, uh, I'll, I'll remember that little girl singing Oh Holy Night. I mean, I hope it's maybe, maybe the last memory I have, uh, you know, is, is meeting God, thinking of that. That was a special moment. Obviously, Good Friday and Easter Sunday are the pinnacle of the church year. Baptism Sunday is important. Um, but if I was to give you, like, maybe the, the, the one of the top three, it would be this Sunday. Now, I know that might be weird. Too. You might go, why is this Sunday special at all? And it's probably not for a lot of people. But for me, I mean, there's just something, I am like, I don't know, I I just have this incredible hope still. I'm I'm 48 years old, I have this incredible hope still and belief in the new year. I mean, I, I still believe that you and I can change. I still believe that this year could be the best year you've ever had in your life. This could be the year of transformation and breakthrough and change and promise. And if you've been around here, you know, I've been preaching like the first Sunday after New Year's forever. Um, many of you still come up to me and go, John. Remember, it's only January thirteenth. Anybody remember that? And if you, just a few of you left, but um, you know. And that was a talk about how it's only January thirteenth. You didn't screw the year up that much yet. You could still recover, and you know, all things are possible. And I, I really believe this. I think this is the way God set the world up. We could randomly go through space, but God set it up so that there's three hundred sixty-five and one quarter days. And it all comes around and goes around again, fall, winter, spring, summer. And I think there's something to this, that God wants us to see this pattern and understand the potential for something different the next time around. And so, because it's so special, I wanted to take one more week on this topic of hope. Hope for 2016, for a better one for you and for I. Now, I know here, oftentimes in the Christian world, we, somehow we have fallen into a pattern and it's kind of like what our club does, you know, the Christian folks. Here's what we do sometimes, we talk everything down. Um, I know the world is a tough place, but we can become like the, we can almost seem to our neighbors to enjoy the unwinding of things. Like we love being the people that tell everybody how everything's going to heck. Um, We're like the negative Nellies of the world. Instead of encouraging the world, we often focus on all the things that are wrong in our world and, and all the things that are wrong with ourselves, all the things that aren't right. But that is not what you are called to be in the world. I don't know how we got into this habit. But you are called to be a reflection of your God, and your God is a God of hope. We're called to be creatures of it. We're not supposed to just regurgitate the things that we see on our TV screens every night. We should be the people that walk around saying, all that you see is not all that there is. Do you know, even in the physical realm, we talked about the spiritual realm. The king has one more move on Christmas Eve. But even in the physical realm, all that you see is not all that there is. I mean, we should be incredibly hopeful people, but nobody's telling us things that are true. I mean, 2016, you should enter with huge optimism, just if you're just a citizen of the world because you're alive right now. You know, the scripture says that when you live was actually ordained by God so that you would be born at just the right time, the best time to give you an opportunity to come to know him. And so you live in 2016. Can I share a couple statistics that you're probably not aware of and maybe launch you into the year with a little bit of renewed hope for for your lives and our world? Number one, you are living, this is the truth, it's not what you think, but it's the truth, you are living in the most peaceful time in human history. Though the global human population has never been higher, you are statistically less likely to die from an act of violence than any other time in the history of the world. Number two, Global hunger is on the decline. Sure, food shortage is still a serious problem, but according to the United Nations, 200 million fewer people go malnourished today than 25 years ago. Did you know that? How come nobody tells us this? You know, in many parts of the world, the infant mortality rate has never been lower. The World Health uh, Association reported that the global child mortality rate Just between 1990 and 2013, this is less time than I've been married, right? The infant mortality rate has fallen by 49%. The global literacy rate is now 84%. Of course, there are still hundreds of millions of people that still lack basic literary skills. We need to care about that, but there's been major improvements. The global literacy rate in 1957 was 66%. It's 84%. You see, God is on the move. There is good in the world. Things can and will and are getting better. How about this? Do you know the Bible is more accessible right now than it has ever been? It's been translated into 2,900 languages and the free YouVersion Bible app, you all can pull this down on your phone after church, um, has been downloaded more than 136 million times. It's incredible stuff. Nobody tells me this. The abortion rate in America is at an all-time low. So are teen pregnancies. People are living longer. In the last century and a half, the global life expectancy has doubled. 90% of the global population now has access to clean water. Just since 1990, 2.6 billion people have gained access to clean drinking water. And since 2000, the number of children who died because of waterborne illnesses. Just since 2000, they've been cut in half. And this is really interesting. Future generations may never experience extreme poverty. Though there are currently more than 1 billion people, listen, we're not where we need to be, but though there are currently more than 1 billion people living in extreme poverty, poverty, the World Bank says they hope that global and economic initiatives now in place can eliminate extreme poverty by 2030. It might seem far-fetched, but in the last 35 years, the number of people living on less than $1.25 a day adjusted for inflation just since in the last 35 years, has fallen from 42% of the world to 16%. The thrill of hope. God's not done with this world. He's not done with you. And so we need to celebrate these things. We need to just not bemoan the darkness. We need to bring light into the darkness. We need to be people that are part of the solutions instead of just people that are part of the complaining chorus. Now, how about hope for you? hope in your world. If you were here last January, we did a series that many of you have commented on over the last year called Groundwork. I know our church does turn over a lot. We, you know, we get a lot of people that move. It's a real frustration when you're trying to lead it, but uh, uh, and God keeps calling people out to serve him instead of staying here. Um, but, but we did this series called Groundwork, and, and it was very instrumental for a lot of us in terms of transforming areas of our lives. You might remember we had weekly devotional books. We, we laid out some life plans. You even wrote yourselves letters, and we sent them all home to you in the summer to, to try to keep you on that path towards transformation. And many of you, I was just at a wedding on Friday and somebody said to me, do you know, uh, I, I changed this one key component in my life because of that Groundwork series. And it's, it's had incredible fruit in my life just because of that series. That's true in my own life. I can name two areas for you. I won't, but two areas where our time together in Groundwork changed me. But in this New Year's Day, I want to do something different. Instead of challenging you to come up with a New Year's resolution for the coming year, I don't want to just look at the future and make new ones. What I want to do today, especially since so many of us did the groundwork stuff together last year, I want today to look at the things that kept you from succeeding in your resolutions with your groundwork last year. What I want you to identify today, maybe with my help, and I'm working on this this week. This is my weekly project this week. I encourage it to be yours. I want to look at, in our lives, what were the things that kept us from making the changes in our lives that we so wanted, we were so committed to just 50 weeks ago? Where did you get stuck? Where did you get held up? Where did you plateau? Where did God's work in your life, where did his hand in your life kind of pause? I want to look with you and and look at my own life, the places in 2015 where we got stuck. So in 2016, we don't, so that 2016 doesn't wind up like 2015 or 2014 or 2013. And what I want to do is I want to try to do it specifically, and I'd like you to come out of here this morning with at least a little bit of a plan forward, you'll see in a minute. But as I worked on this message this morning, I couldn't help but think of the entire Thrill of Hope series and some of the science of hope that I have shared with you. Scientists are studying hope like never before. I I go to an Asian, um, I don't know why I'm saying Asian, only because of his background, but um, my, my, my skin doctor, my skin cancer doctor. Very brilliant man, and uh, I'm not sure what his religious background is, other than I know he's not Christian. But every time when I go in, he starts asking me about God. It's the strangest thing. He just he knows I'm a pastor of a church, and he keeps saying you're interesting to me, and he he's literally carving things out of me, talking to me about God. You know, it's like a good diversion from the pain. And uh, I went in there a week before Christmas, and he said, "What are you talking to your congregation about?" I said, "We're talking about hope," and his face lit up. He said, I have to tell you, there is nothing more powerful than hope. I see it all the time. People that have hope live. People that don't have hope often don't. We saw that. We saw the power of hope. We saw the science of hope, what scientists have studied. We saw it in the Christmas story. Here's a couple of things you learned, hopefully, is that the people of hope have a plan, a belief that God is calling them somewhere to something. They have some goal in mind. They also have a plan of how they're going to achieve it, but they are people that also understand that obstacles will come in the way, that they're likely going to have to go in a different direction in order that the goal might be reached. Because if you don't, if you just think your path is clear to where God is calling you, you're likely to get stuck. Now, many of you know the story of Moses. This is such a—I'm telling you, I think you're going to remember this when you go out of here. Moses led the Israelites out of slavery in Egypt. Now, less of, less of you, though, know what happened once he got them out of Egypt. Once he crossed the Red Sea with them. If you know the story, this is the interesting part of the story. It's often not really focused on as much. God not only called Israel, the people of God, from something, from their slavery. He called them to something. It wasn't just come out. It was come out and go there. He called them out of slavery into freedom, into a new life. Listen, God was not calling, just calling his people away from slavery. He was calling them to a new life and a new land, promised to their ancestors. But something happened on the journey. They got stuck. And there are huge parallels for you and I here. Paul says twice in 1 Corinthians and Hebrews, you can go home and look at this. He goes, this story of the Israelites and what happened to them, this is a warning for you guys, for us that live post-Jesus, who have been freed from our slavery to sin and been set free to a new life. Paul says, you gotta be careful that you don't get stuck. The goal for the people of Israel was a promised land, a hope, a life that had been promised, but something caught them up. When I spoke to you a few weeks ago about the science of hope, I said that the idea of people having to have hope, they have to understand there's a path to the goal, but the path to the promised land, the path to where God is calling you to be and go and do in 2016 is not going to be without diversion or pain or disappointment. You know that, some of you. Now, one of you afterwards sent me this great meme on Facebook. Uh, I like it when people send me nice things on Facebook. Um, And uh, they sent me this meme, which I thought was so good. They said, Man, I saw this. It reminded me of your talk on Sunday. Right? Like, we think that God has called us to something, and here's the way it's just going to go. I'm just going to, you know, it's going to be a walk in the park. But the truth is, that is not usually where we arrive at what God is calling us to. We can see the promised land. But we run into things along the way. We get stuck. You know what's so incredible about that picture? It looks like some cartoon somebody just drew. That picture is almost completely biblically accurate. Let me show you why, because this is why Paul said, you need to study what happened to the Israelites because this could happen to you. This is the picture, the map of Israel's journey from Egypt to the promised land. Look familiar to anyone? This is the map of God's people often. It is not a linear call to the promised land. Now, let me show you something. It's very fascinating. I'll give you a little stuff here, okay? Up in the top or left, upper left here, we have, uh, we have the Israelites' path. They're coming out of Egypt. And you'll see they come down here. Oh, Darren, you fixed that. Good job. And uh, they cross the Red Sea. Now, give me, let me give you a little uh, of the timeline here. Um, the trip from Egypt to the Red Sea, give or take, would have taken the Israelites about 25 days. Then the trip from the Red Sea to Mount Horeb, or Mount Sinai is it's sometime known in Scripture. You see Mount Horeb down here on the bottom to the right? The trip to Mount Horeb would have taken another 20 days or so. So they're 45 days into a journey, and something happens at Mount Horeb that messes everything up. Church, listen to this. What happens on Mount Horeb winds up taking a journey that could have been only 11 days, 11 days from Mount Horeb to the promised land, and turns it into 40 years. You know what it is? They hit a mountain, and they got stuck. See, they get to this mountain range, this mountain, Mount Horeb, and they don't sit there for a day, a week, a month. They sit there for a year. Because, you know, things are kind of comfortable here at Mount Horeb. I mean, it's not what God promised us. It's not a land flowing with milk and honey. In fact, we barely have enough provisions to get by. But here's we know. We know how to get food. And, you know, a bunch of months ago, we had an experience with God. Or at least Moses did up on the mountain. So maybe we stay right here. Maybe we'll have that experience again. And, I mean, they knew how to, where to go and get the water. And so, so that made it a little more comfortable. It's not perfect, but it, it could be worse. And so as they sat on Mount Horeb for a year, they said, well, we, maybe we should put some, some rules in place. And, and the scripture says they started appointing judges and, and people that would settle disputes there. And they just kind of settled into life there in the shadow of Mount Horeb. Instead of a land flowing with milk and honey, they settled for safety and comfort. But it wasn't what God had for him. Does this resonate with anyone? It wasn't what God had for them. It wasn't the promised land. It was just the path of least resistance. And so they got stuck. And they settled in at the mountain. But this is not what God has for you or his people. Our patterns are similar. Paul says, Take a look at this in 1 Corinthians and Hebrews, because this is going to happen. Take a lesson. But here's what God does God comes along and he says to Moses, who's leading these people, in Deuteronomy chapter 1, he says this. He goes, The Lord our God said to us at Horeb, You have stayed long enough at this mountain. You have stayed long enough at this mountain. For the Israelites, it was Mount Horeb. It was a place of comfort. It was a place of familiarity, but it wasn't where they were supposed to be, and it wasn't the Promised Land. Let me ask you, how about 2015 2015, in your life? Can you name your mountain? Can you name the place where you got stuck, where you settled for second best, where you wanted change, you hoped for change? Last January, you had this groundwork vision for your life, things were going to be better. Maybe you, like the Israelites, got off to a flying start, and you were making up ground like crazy, and then you hit a mountain. And you just settled in right there, and, and it became a place where you could exist where, where there was no confrontation, where, where, where there was no challenging, but it was also a place of no growth. It felt familiar. It's comfortable. But if you're honest, if you're very honest, you know as you sit in that place, blocked by that mountain, there is nothing going on there that's good. It's just the absence of, of, of discomfort and bad. And if you're honest, you also know in your mind there are pa- patterns and ruts that are getting in and, and perhaps addictions and other ways to cover things up. And Horeb just becomes... This place of least resistance. For Israel, it was Horeb. It was supposed to be a stop on the way to a final destination. It was a place where they were going to be trained to meet God and then go out. It was not to become a city. How about you? What's your mount? Where'd you stop? What tripped you up? What got in the way? Where have you said, this isn't what God has for me, but I'm not sure I want to move from it? Listen, here's what I know about the promises that we made to each other or, or, or made to ourselves, at least last year during Groundwork, because I worked through the series with you. Those promises all involved maybe one of six things. Relational promises, uh, financial, familial, physical, professional, or spiritual. And I don't want you, this is not going to be a day where we're going to go through all those, but I, you know, I know you know what your mountain is, at least most of you. I know what mine is. I mean, uh, let me ask you, I mean, is it relational? Do you get stuck in relationships? Do the same old patterns in relationships come back and bite you? One of the things I've been made aware of so recently, so much in my own life, and as I watch it play out in the church and watch it play out in my home, um, things like jealousy and gossip or anger. I mean, why do we love to talk behind each other's backs so much? I mean, we love it. There's something that feels good about it. I don't know Why? But these become patterns and mindsets, and we know we shouldn't do it, but we can't help it. I man, Anger and bitterness. Guys, this is especially a guy problem. It's not exclusive to guys. I know that that's true, but man, there's a lot of angry men out there. Just guys, you know, right? Just somebody just says the wrong thing. You know who you tiptoe around at the office or in your house, be very careful. Don't upset Dad. Be very careful. Oh, be careful what you say to Jim. Oh, be very careful about her. Oh, if you say something to her, that's going to wind up all over the place. And so we get stuck in these mountains. And 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 what, you know, like, do you always need to be right? Uh, do you always need to be respected? I mean, is is this a mountain you're willing to die on? I mean, has it cost you anything? It's hard, man, it's hard. Can I share a story with you? I can I show, show you how hard this is? Because I get stuck at these mountains too. I have this mountain, like the staff knows it and my family knows a little bit, but like John's big thing is, I don't care if you pay me a lot of money or, or you buy me a lot of presents, but I really, like, there's this brokenness in me and I feel this, this insatiable need to be respected. I don't know why that is. Um, and I'm working on it. But I get caught at that mountain a lot. So disrespect is a big issue for me. So last week I came up with the ingenious idea. My mom is uh, in her 70s and she's got COPD, you know, so it's very hard for her to breathe. Um, but what do you buy a 70-year-old woman who can't really go very far? So uh, I said, you know what I'm going to do? I'll take her to see uh, the Christmas show at Radio City. And uh, so we went in and we got backstage passage from the Quinners because little Rachel was, was starring in it. It was very cool. And I drove my poor old mom's butt into New York City at 2 o'clock last Sunday afternoon. I don't know what I was thinking, but I I dropped her off right in front of Radio City, as close as I could get, and um, my kids were there, and my wife, and I parked the car, and I get back, and it is just packed, and I mean, people are throwing elbows, you know, it's like, it's not even general admission seating, right? And here's my mom, she can barely breathe, and people are banging into her and throwing elbows at her, and you know, my mom's, you know, she's no shrinking violet herself, so she was getting a little upset, and she's going, you know, this is ridiculous, people, it's Christmas, and all the rest, and I'm going, I'm going, Mom... You know, come on. It's Christmas. It's a big deal. It'll be fine. Well, so we go in. We go to come out. And now we're walking back to the car, and I'm trying to walk by my mom, and, um, you know, she's, she's got to go a little slower. She can't walk that fast. And so my kids are walking behind me, and Courtney's there, and there's a woman behind Courtney, and she did not like She's pushing a stroller with a little kid in it, and she did not like that it was taking us this long to walk my mother down the thing. So she just decided she would send Courtney the subtle message of violently driving her stroller into Courtney's leg. And Courtney sees it, and she turns around, and she goes, Uh, She looks at her and she goes, excuse me. And the woman goes, "Uh, you need to move the F along or something like that. Merry Christmas, everyone. (laughs) Right? And so Courtney and John got very upset. And I said to them, children. Tut, tut. As the ambassadors of the king, this is not the way that we treat those that sit against us. We respond in love and kindness. And they rolled their eyes at me, and we, we got back to the car. And uh, so now, if there's anything worse than trying to maneuver the sidewalks at that time of year, what's the only thing worse than trying to maneuver the sidewalks? The, well, the parking garage, too. But the streets, right? And so I get out in the street, and it's taking forever. And we get up to this one stoplight, and the light is turn, about to turn red. And uh, there's a taxi behind me, and he is laying onto the horn. But I know I can't block the box. I'm conditioned. Don't block the box. And the cars are all backed up into the intersection. If I pull out, I'm going to get stuck. So I'm like, I'm looking in the rear the mirror going, what do you want me to do? The light's about to turn red. I can't pull out. So I sit there. But a strange, uh, through a strange kind of confluence of events, um, suddenly, just as the light was about to turn red, all the rest of the cars moved out of the box. So I just scooted right through, got out to the other side and didn't think much of it. Till a ton of blocks later, what I perceived to be a different cab rolled up next to me and told me to roll down my window, which I humbly did, thinking he was looking for directions. I don't know why I would think (laughs) the cab driver was looking for directions from a guy with jersey plates. And that cab driver proceeded to lay into me in front of my children and my mother like I was his seven-year-old child told me I should not come to a city, I don't know how to drive in his city, and you know, don't ever come back. And my sons are sitting right there, and I'm like... <laughs> I, I've never been talked to like that in front of my kids, lectured like this guy was my father. And I'm telling you, I mean, I, I don't like disrespect. <laughs> it's an issue for me. It's a mountain I get stuck on. It costs, it costs me relationships sometimes. And so I felt this thing rise up in front of me Where I said, I'm going to get out of this car. (laughs) And I'm going in front of my two sons, show this boy, you know, that he doesn't talk to me. this way. The people in the backseat are putting their heads down like this. And so, but I'm trying to control my flesh. And so I said something back to the guy that wasn't really that bad. Essentially, I said, dude, it was a red light. You know, get over yourself. Um, And I went in the restaurant and we're sitting there and um, John looks at me and goes, what's the matter with you? Because I wasn't talking. I said, I am in a war for my soul right now with my flesh. Like, I, I feel like I can't tell you what is going on in my heart. See, I know it's hard. I mean, these mountains are real mountains. I'm not talking about stuff that's simple or fake or isn't deep or doesn't hurt. And we get caught in real mountains. For Israel, it was Horeb. I mean, what is it for you? Is it your family? You have broken relations, broken relationships in your family. Have you allowed yourself to set up camp at the mountain of broken relationships? Because frankly, you're right; they're wrong. Unless they apologize, nobody's going anywhere. Is that where you're camping? Have you respected your mother and father? I'm not, the kids are gone, so I'm asking you guys: Have you respected your mother and father? Not because they earned it, but because the scriptures say, because the Lord says, He commands you respect. Your mother and father. Oh, you don't know what she said to me. You don't know what he did to me. I know. I, I'm in the process of messing up my kids right now. <laughs> right? I'm not making light of of stuff. Okay, I want you to know that. But but, have you respected your mother and father? Is your marriage all that it could be, all that it, all that it should be, or are you have you settled, can I ask you to be, uh, I mean, just be honest, have you just settled into, look, it's not great, but we're not going to do anything about it because, frankly, we're paying the bills, we've become mortgage partners, we're raising the kids, it's comfortable. It's not what it should be, it's not where God wanted it to be, but I'll it's too dangerous to move out of this spot. Parents, you need to pursue your kids again. I mean, fathers, do you need to, do you need to begin to date your daughters and, and convince your daughters of their beauty and of their worth and of how much you love them before some guy with, with bad intentions comes along and does? Uh, fathers, let me ask you again. Are you making sure that your sons know that they are the man, that they have everything that it takes to be a man of God in this world so they don't have to gain their masculinity by doing something else, by womanizing or beating up cab drivers in New York City. See, we we know our mountains, right? I mean, maybe you're overspending consistently. You're living outside of, of how much money you make. Your credit card debt this January is higher than it was last January. You, you're stressed and you're stuck in it and you promised it wouldn't happen, but there's this pattern there and you're just kind of stuck there. And Well, I mean, if I just keep making the minimum payment, I could do this for a while longer because it would be too hard to do something else. For some of you, I know the mountain is physical. You know you're not healthy you know you're overweight. You know your diet's terrible, but you're just too tired to do anything about it. And you know why you're so too, you know why you're so tired? Because you don't do anything, and your diet is terrible. But it's so hard, and so your mountain becomes not a mountain but a couch. And life is just like hurtling by. And if you're honest, you're you know I've been here where I'm lying on a couch and I going I think I'm dying here. I can feel myself decaying into this couch as I'm sitting here. But it would be so hard to go and do something about it. For others, for others you, where do you go for comfort when the day is too tough or you get too lonely? For some people, it's food. For others, it's booze. For others, it's something else, maybe even more addictive, just to quell the feeling that there was another way. There was supposed to be a promised land. But somehow I got stuck here at this mountain. Maybe in your own spiritual life. Church, let me ask you, are you still living off of the stories mom and dad told you about God and you have none of your own? Are you still living off of the experience that you had with God when you were 17 at camp, but you haven't had one since? Because here's what I know what God is saying to you is, come away from that mountain. Come. In fact, let me tell you specifically what he says. This is what he said. Moses told the people, Deuteronomy 1, 6 and 7. He says... You've stayed long enough at this mountain. Turn. Turn around. And Israel, you've got this whole group of people and they're just fixated on what's working, how to live with the mountain in the way. But that wasn't God's plan for his people and it's not God's plan for his people today. He's a better story for you and your family and your life and your career and your soul. God's saying to His people who are fixated on the mountain, this place where you've settled in, you're comfortable. He's telling you, you need to trust me. I know it's hard. Turn around. You know what that word turn means? Many of you know, if you hang around the church long enough, you'll know that 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 word turn is where we get our word repent from. We don't like that word because it's scary and it makes us think of hell and fire and brimstone, but God is saying to His people, repent. Turn around. Turn around. That's not what I have for you. Why would you settle for that? Stop thinking that same way. Stop doing the same things. Change your whole perspective. Change your vision. Change your goal. Get up and look the other way. There's the promised land. Guess I should wrap this up. follow kids or dog acts. I keep saying it all the time. <laughs> Listen, here's the last thing God says to his people, okay? The last thing he says to his people. Here's what he says. He says, you've stayed long enough at this mountain. Turn and set your journey. Don't just turn and be excited about the vision. Oh, look at the promised land over there. Oh, look at healthy eating over there. Oh, look at a good marriage over there. Oh, look at good relationships with my children. Oh, look at a job that actually means something. He says, don't don't just look at the promised land. Set a path to it. Everybody wants a good marriage. Peace at home, financial margin, less stress, better health. Anybody can set a goal. Those are good godly goals. I think you should set them. But God is calling you away from mountains, the places where you've settled for less than that. And he says, set your journey. How is it you're going to get there? What's your plan? It's a great Mike Tyson line. Everybody's got a plan until they get punched in the face. Because that's the story of hope. It's not just about having a plan. It's how am I going to get to it? But I have to tell you something that happens on your way to the promised land. When God calls those people away from Mount Horeb in comfort and something less than he has from them, when he says, leave the place that's less than best for a promised land, turn, set your journey. Darren, put the the video, the the Israel back up for a minute. Let me ask you a question. Well, actually, I told you before. This is an 11-day journey from Mount Horeb to what God was giving his people. Do you know how long it took Israel to travel an 11-day journey? Anybody? Forty years. Forty years. Because there were some obstacles that came up and they got scared and they didn't trust in the power of God to help them overcome them and they just quit. Some of you know the story. Instead of moving in to take possession of the land that God gave them, they sent, well, you know, I'm not so sure. Let me send some spies out. And they gathered 12 spies out and they sent spies into the land. The spies came back with this report. It was a twofold report. The spy says, first to, to the community, we need to tell you, the land that God has for you is just as he described. It is a land flowing with milk and honey. There are good familial relationships there. They eat well. Their finances are in good shape. Everything that you've been promised, peace and comfort and hope and prosperity, it's all there. But then they said something else. They said, we have to be fair. We have to tell you something else. There's giants over there. This isn't going to be easy. This is what what Moses said to the people. Moses recounting what was going to happen. He said, you knew what was there. You bought back the fruit we tasted. We knew it was good. But he says this, you were unwilling to go. You rebelled against the command of the Lord. You grumbled in your tents. Isn't this what we do? You grumbled in your tents and you said, the Lord hates us. So he brought us out of Egypt to deliver us into the hands of the Amorites to destroy us. Where can we go? Then they blamed the spies. Our brothers made us lose hope. They say the people are stronger and taller than we are. The cities are large. They have walls up to the sky. Moses said to them, Church, Paul says, listen to this. This You're going to get stuck unless you learn your lesson. Paul says, don't be terrified. Don't be afraid of them. The Lord your God is going before you. You know, he'll fight for you as he did for you in Egypt. Before your very eyes and in the desert, you saw how the Lord God carried you as a father carries a son all the way you went until you reached this place. But in spite of it, you didn't trust in God who went ahead of you the whole time in fire by night and cloud by the day just to search out places for you to camp to show you the way to go. And the Israelites, they had a goal and they had a plan And they hit an obstacle and they let fear creep in. And they lost faith that God would come through for them. And listen, church, when you have a plan and you run into an obstacle, do not make the mistake of letting an 11-day journey turn into 40 years of wandering and wasting your life. Paul says, learn a lesson. Most of the people that did this never saw the promised land. Have you done that? Somewhere in your life right now? Is there somewhere right now where I'm in the middle of turning an 11-day journey into a 40-year waste of my life? Are you in danger of missing out on what God promised you? I mean, of course there's obstacles along the way. The biggest greatest one is fear, especially fear of failure. But God is calling you to peace and reconciliation and self-control and stewardship of your time and your money and your body. If he's calling you to it, if he said it before you, don't you believe that he has the power to take you there? The same thing that kept the Israelites wandering for 40 years is the same thing that keeps you and I from moving from this mountain. And it's because we're afraid to fail and trust in God. Why don't people exercise? Do you know what the number one people don't exercise reason is? because they tried it before and they quit and they don't want to do it again. They fear failure. So here's what you need to do. Band, come on up, here's what I want you to do. I want you to ask yourselves four questions this week. Whoever that baby is, I'm almost done. Number one, this is a hard one, okay? What is your mountain? Can you name the place where you get stuck or plateaued? Do you know the place you got tripped up year after year? Can I ask you to be vulnerable for a minute? If you know where your mountain is, would you be willing to raise your hand and say, I know where that place is. Raise it high. Encourage one another in it. I know where it is. Where is the place you've settled knowing it's not God's plan for your life or your home or your career, but you're just comfortable there. You don't want to move. Here's the second question you need to ask yourself. Where is God calling you to? What is the promised land for you? I mean, is it financial freedom? Is it a better relationship with your kids or your spouse? Is it a job with some meaning? Where is it? And the third thing you need to do is you need to say, why, you need to set your plan. Anybody can say, that's where I want to go. You need to set a plan. And here's what I want you to do when you set that plan. The power of a plan is to tell somebody your plan. A plan unshared is likely a plan that's not going to be kept. Whatever it is, go get into this. Is why I spend all this time on small groups? This is why I want guys in community with one another. This is why we have all these women's group on Thursday morning. Get in a community and share your mountain and share your plan and encourage one another. And lastly, this here's one thing I can get. Well, some of us, many of us, there are times and seasons in our life where we need somebody from out a professional to help us. If you need that, I want to help you. Come see me for that. We can, we can if, if money's an issue, we can, we can help a little bit with counseling money for folks. Maybe if you need that in your home or your marriage. Um, I want 2016 to be different than 2015. I'm tired of trying to get people to move mountains. I want to get people to turn away from their mountains. And finally this, you are going to hit obstacles along the way. There are still giants in the land. There are still cities with walls. But that is where faith comes in. That's where you remember where God came through for you. That's where you remember why you're here on a Sunday morning listening to me yell at you. This is why you show up and you go, I remember what God did. I've seen his ways in the past. And I know the truth is he will come through for me. Stand up, would you? As we close in song, as we get ready for Nick's big drum. um, We haven't forgotten about this, right? (laughs) What's your mountain? What's your promised land? What's your plan? And when you run into an obstacle, understand who's your God.